So um, let me ask you this, Riley. How old are you? Eight. And how do you have siblings, brothers and sisters? And how old are they? Okay, Um, how old is? My brother is five. Okay, so I have kids about your age. And I started writing the Tuttle Twins books because just like your dad, I, I work and, and uh, on these issues and I talk to people about these issues. And I wanted a way to talk to my kids about mm-hmm. these issues. I talked to a lot of adults, right? And I was like, you know what? It would be fun if there was a way, like maybe a book out there or a cartoon or something like that where it could help me talk to my kids. And so I went on Amazon. This was about five years ago. And I went on Amazon and I searched, you know, for books out there that would talk about this kind of stuff. And I couldn't really find anything. And I first I was like, oh, that's a bummer. I wish there was something, you know. And then I thought, you know what? Why don't I start doing it? So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back, Money Talkers. I have a very special guest today. Um, I actually think that my daughter might be the most excited person on the planet right now. Uh, <laughs> but I have a, uh, I have a guest named Connor Boyack. He founded the Libertas Institute um, and serves as its president in Utah. And they work on um, basically a lot of legislation and um, freedom ideas. I think would probably be a good way to describe it. But yeah, uh, we'll get into that. And then, but also. Uh, as a side note, he's written, I believe it's 20, is it 22 books now? 21. 21. And so the, but the biggest series for us here at the Laughlin household is the uh, Tuttle Twins books, uh, which my daughter Riley absolutely loves. Uh, the books are geared around teaching the principles of economic freedom and our liberties uh, to kids from the five to 11 year old range. Yep. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a real honor to have you on. So I want to say thank you, Connor. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for, for having me and, and hi to your uh, guest interviewer there as well, Riley. Yeah, well, she is, uh, she is going to be doing a first for the Money Talkers podcast. Um, she is going to be asking the first couple of questions. So I'm going to pass it on to her and let her say hi to you. All right. Hi. Hi, Riley. How are you? All right, so you're you're in charge of Dad's podcast for the day, right? You can ask all kinds yeah. of crazy stuff now. Yeah. <laughs> What's your? Can I ask you a question first? Sure. What's your favorite Tuttle Twins book? Um, I haven't read all of them, but so far, I think it's Messed Up Market and Food Truck Fiasco. And so, Messed Up Market is the newest one. What What did you like most about that book? Um. I don't know. It just seemed like 
good because it kind of like goes with like my dad's that's uh-huh. thing because like he has like stuff for like um parents to key to teach entrepreneurship and stuff like that very cool um, so it sounded so pretty familiar to you then, yeah that's cool well what questions do you have for me um why did you start um writing the Tuttle twins books so um let me ask you this riley how old are you eight and how do you have siblings brothers and sisters and how old are they okay Um, how old is my brother is five okay so i have kids about your age and i started writing the tuttle twins books because just like your dad i i work and and uh on these issues and i talk to people about these issues and I wanted a way to talk to my kids about mm-hmm. these issues. I talked to a lot of adults, right? And I was like, you know what? It would be fun if there was a way, like maybe a book out there or a cartoon or something like that where it could help me talk to my kids. And so I went on Amazon. This was about five years ago. And I went on Amazon and I searched, you know, for books out there that would talk about this kind of stuff. And I couldn't really find anything. And I first I was like, oh, that's a bummer. I wish there was something, you know, and then I thought, you know what, why don't I start doing it? And so we started writing the Tuttle Twins books. And uh, we've got, I think, 11 in the children's series now. And so it was fun, because not only can I now teach my kids Mm -hmm. about these kinds of things, but your dad can teach you about these things. And many other parents out there can now talk to their kids about, you know, what our freedoms are, and what free markets are, and why, we should, you know, be nice to other people and why should we should have personal responsibility and things like that. So I'm glad you like them. Yeah, I actually have another question for you. Sure. Um, when will the next Huddle Twins book come out and what will, will the, it be called? Oh, good question. So the messed up market that you were just mentioning, that just came out um, about a month ago. And the way we do it is we do a new book every seven or eight months. And so it'll probably be later this year when we do our next book. And I have a big list of ideas. I have a long list where where people will say, hey, you should do a book about this. And oh, what about a book about this? And so I keep track of all these ideas and my own ideas. And so we haven't decided yet just because we just got done um, with the other book. And so we've got a little bit of time before we have to Uh, decide and and get started on the next one. I think it would be a lot of fun to do a book about the kinds of things that are happening in the world right now, where you look at how, like, are you guys having to stay at home right now with all this coronavirus stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And the government is telling people, you can't go to work and your job isn't essential. And if you go play at the beach, we're going to arrest you. And there's all these things Mm -hmm. happening when there's a crisis, there's, there's actually a real crisis happening right now. But then on top of that crisis, the government will pass all kinds of laws, and it will restrict us even more. And so I'm thinking about maybe doing a book about that type of issues so that people can understand that all throughout history, whenever these kind of bad things happen, some people in the government think of that as an opportunity for them to say, Oh, let's pass a bunch of new laws to try and, you know, solve this crisis. But in the meantime, they get a lot more power. And that's a problem for people like you and me, because we lose some mm-hmm. of our freedoms. So I don't know, what do you think about that idea? Would you be interested in a book like that? Uh, yeah, um, I actually would. Um, 
it would be funny to make up like a illness like the chicken rainbow pox <laughs> <laughs> like a fake a fake virus in the book yeah. that makes people yeah, that'd sick be funny. yeah that'd be fun i like that idea that's clever cool do you have another question or was that it um that's it okay well hey you're a good interviewer good job <laughs> thanks say bye hey see you riley <laughs> all right you can walk out <laughs> bye thank you for your uh thank you for your contribution bye <laughs> us free marketeers believe in child labor so there you go <laughs> that's it i figure she's home so you gotta earn her keep right <laughs> she uh she's been bouncing off the walls because um she, when I told her that I was going to interview you, they were still in school and she was like, can I stay home from school that day? And then, so today she was pretty excited to say hi. So I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> well, um, listen, I, uh, I caught some of your answers in there and, um, you know, I, I think that there's, you hit on something where you went looking and searching for information on your own, right. And couldn't find it. And it's, it's, uh, to me, I've done the same thing, you know, I've been out there and I, and I'm, I'm just amazed at the lack of financial education opportunities for kids. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a personal um, issue for me that I've been dealing with for probably 20 years. Actually, the first time I had a finance class, I was 19 years old in college. Mm. And I was just angry that we weren't teaching this in high schools because I knew all the other kids in my school were never going to have a chance to. And I'm just curious as that's, um, as, as you've been kind of out in the market, um, obviously for a while and on the front lines for a lot longer than I have, what kind of um, feedback do you get from parents? Um, I think there's a lot of parents out there who like you and I want to talk about, like they have the desire to talk about these types of issues. I equate it, and this is kind of a, an awkward example, but I found it useful, at least for me. It's kind of like, talking about the birds and the bees with your kids, awkward topic, important conversation. You want to convey ideas appropriately rather than them learning bad ideas, you know, from peers or on the internet or whatever. Um, and many parents will leverage like a book. There's so many books out there that kind of help introduce these ideas. It's just kind of an easier way to have that conversation. And so there, it's kind of a crutch, right? Yeah. For parents to kind of have the, those conversations that they want to, but they don't quite know how to, to summarize it and simplify it. And, uh, and so that's kind of how I see our books for these type of like freedom and free market issues is that the, the desire is there by many parents. They themselves believe these ideas. Maybe they don't quite understand them themselves. In fact, kind of the funniest thing to me about doing these books is that um, we started doing children's books, but there's this whole secondary audience that has emerged and that is the parents themselves. We get comments literally uh, several a week from just un unsolicited, you know, parents replying being like, holy cow, I learned way more in that book than I ever remember learning in my college economics course, you know, um, or I never took an economics course. This is all new to me. This is so fun to learn. And, and so a lot of the adults themselves are kind of learning along the way. Um, but it's fostering those important conversations that well-meaning parents are like, no, I, I want my kids to understand these things. I want them to make sense of the world around them. I don't know how to explain that. I don't know how to summarize, you know, spontaneous order for a six-year-old. Um, and so our books and the stories they present kind of facilitate that dialogue. No, and I think that's a really good point is that, you know, as I talk mainly in regards to the personal finance and entrepreneurship, I, when I talk to parents, everyone I've ever talked to believes that they should, uh, 
every, every one of the parents that I've talked to believes that we should be teaching principles in these around f- personal finance and entrepreneurship. I've never met anybody who was like, I'm really glad I didn't learn anything about bad idea. Let's school. not talk to kids yeah. about that stuff. Yeah. Like no not, one does that. Not one person. Everyone agrees, right? Everyone I've ever talked to agrees and says, I wish I had learned something about this in school because you're going to get a financial education one way or another. You're, you're going to get really, you know, and from the source, at least you could pick the source. And, you know, I've also had people say to me, uh, I had I had an interview done and they asked me, they said, well, what do you say to uh, the people who are in charge of the curriculum that it's not very effective to teach personal finance in school? And I just looked at her and said, well, how effective is it to not teach it? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, look I, at I the like world it. around us right now and what the what financial illiteracy has led to, you know? Yeah. Leverage. You know, and that's a simple principle of leverage. And, you know, there's going to be, I, I, I got my principal lesson during the, uh, during the great recession, you know, I was way over levered and found out everything, um, that I, uh, that I was really bad at, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I was fortunate enough to dive hard back into it. Um, but I got a real, I got a real lesson out of it. And, um, I think we're going to get probably pretty close to doing the same thing right now. Uh, we've been on such a really good trajectory for the last 10 years that uh, when you start basing things on income and not on, you know, uh, having those sound principles, it's going to be rough. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot of adults who, as you point out, themselves have not yet quite learned those ideas and, and uh, had enough life experience to kind of, um, you know, it's one thing to learn it academically. It's another thing to learn it through life experience. But I think it's so important for our kids not only to learn this stuff in, you know, a book or in a conversation, but to see it in real life play out, you know, and we talk in in our books about um, the diverse products that the market can offer and this concept of spontaneous order where there's no one in charge and people are just kind of producing what they want. There's such abundance and diversity and, and everything else. It's one thing to talk about that. It's another thing to go to the grocery store and be like, holy cow, there's 83 kinds of potato chips. Like why in the world are there that many kinds and who's in charge of this and why why don't we just have four and you know why it's just amazing to kind of see in the real world these things play i I think right now for all the problems we're going to have you know we've needed a correction in the market as you point out things have have just kind of run up everything's inflated massive bubble in every sector of the market Um, so we've needed a correction a correction is healthy and as unfortunate as this period is going to be, especially for a lot of people who have not prepared, they're living paycheck to paycheck, they've not diversified their income, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it still presents a, a profound, I think, a profound opportunity for kids, especially to be observing and understanding what's happening in the world, for us to sit down with our kids and help them make sense of what they're seeing, whether in our family directly, if we're being impacted, um, or with our friends, family, neighbors, uh, there's a lot of lessons. If we if we take advantage of this opportunity to learn from, mm-hmm. you know, other people's mistakes, our own mistakes, and try and have a better path in the future, I think the worst thing we can do is just try and paper over this, right? Yeah. Kick the can down the road and just try and recreate the problems that have led us here. Uh, but I think if history serves, so that's exactly what a lot of people are going to try and do. <laughs> well, you know, and I feel like that's going to create opportunity. You know, that's the thing, though, is that you can either throw your hands up or realize that there's going to be opportunity out of things. Um, you know, I had a I had a talk yesterday just walking uh, with my son and we were walking the dog and we were kind of talking about these things. And one of the things that I love about your books and the idea of this is that it's fostering just the conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the thing that we're talking about right now. You're saying, you know, 
like we need to just be talking about it. You don't have to be an expert, but you need to, you know, you can, you can learn with them if you don't know it, but you also Mm -hmm. can just open the door and have the conversation because what you're doing, you're talking about very much smaller things for them right now that aren't, you know, there's not real big consequences on the other side of it, Mm -hmm. but opening that door that down the road, they're going to be able to come talk to you when the questions get bigger and the consequences get bigger, but they know that they can now talk to you about money, about decision-making in life. And I think that your books open up the door for that a lot. I'll be very honest with you right now. I never anticipated the reaction to these books that we've had. Um, How I was just telling my wife the other day, like it's just amazing every day across social media and responses to our emails and everything else. Every day we're getting multiple messages from parents saying, my kids love your books. My kids are hooked. We got one the other day. This dad was like, my daughter hates reading. Won't, won't do it, but she'll read your books. And, and as the author, I'm like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> uh, there's no magic potion here. I've, I've not like scientifically come up with this formula. It, it's honestly bizarre to me. And, and so over the years, I've had a lot of occasion to think about this because we just get inundated with these messages. And the theory that I have um, that I, as I've re- replied to some of these parents, I'm like, well, here, like, what do you think about this idea? Do you, do you suspect that this is why? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. So it's at least validated anecdotally from, from these parents who are talking to us. And that is, we're talking to kids about adult ideas. Yeah. And there's so many kids books out there that are talking about just random stuff and, you know, Billy punched Susie and stole Tom's lunch money and like whatever. And we're on this fictional adventure that has no basis in reality and it's just a fun story. Nothing against that stuff at all. But, (laughs) excuse me, but children's books are just full of unimportant, irrelevant content. And so here come the Tuttle Twins books that have a story and there's fun characters and fun dialogue and whatever, but the story is a vehicle to learn about not just one idea in a book, but usually like six to 10. Mm-hmm. And there's all these interwoven ideas together. And these are big ideas. There are new terms that are being introduced. And so I guess we just kind of struck gold with this formula where kids are responding really well. Because I think, as I think about when I was a kid, right, I wanted to be like my older cousins, or I wanted to be like the older kids at school, you always want to kind of level up a little bit as a kid, right? And I suspect that the kids reading these books see in this material, the opportunity to kind of step up a little bit more and be a little bit more adult-like and understand some of these big ideas. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but that's kind of the theory that we've had. Yeah, I do. Because I think that one of the things that's going to come up is that we, I've talked about this with other guests, but like, you know, the main question you get asked as a kid is what, right? What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> right. You know? And you know, like, I don't know, 10 jobs. I heard it described as uh, you know, the only 10 jobs, you know, are like Halloween costumes, you know, like cop, like fireman, right. <laughs> doctor, <laughs> you know, uh, the only other one is like, do you want to be a doctor or a lawyer? Like it's all you ever hear, you know? So it's like, yep. you know, so they don't really know. And I, and I know as a kid that I got frustrated being asked that all the time. Cause I was like, I don't even know what jobs are out there, you know? And right. so when we're talking about, I think one of the things, the concepts in this is that there's entrepreneurship right? Which opens the door to a million possibilities. And if you spend the time with your kids talking to them, they come up with business ideas all the time. If you encourage that, I mean, they're not, you know, they're not going to be well thought out a lot of them, but like my kids come up with business ideas weekly, you know, and they're like, ah, I want to do this business. I want to do that business. And I think that one of the things in, in the books is that 
they're seeing kids with an entrepreneurial spirit, but they're also getting the concepts, right? So like we talked about the one yesterday where they were selling the theater and we took a break and we closed the book and we talked about, you know, what were the, you, you talked about opportunity costs in the book. And so what were the opportunities of selling? Mm-hmm. And, and we went to the good and the bad. And then what were mm-hmm. the good? The, and I said, what decision would you make? And she said, well, I would make this decision. She said, I want to sell. And I said, okay, what would you do with your money? And she was like, I don't know. And then we went through that in your book and I was like, it was really, really, but I, but you know, it gives me a chance to talk to her about these things as opposed right. to me lecturing or which a lot of kids probably see, you know, when you're saying, well, this is the way things happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's also one of the concepts where you talk about, uh, allowing kids to fail. Right. And, yeah. and, and I'm a huge believer in that. And, and I think that that's what builds self-esteem. And I think the kids feel that when they're reading the books. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly right. And, um, you know, it's fun because as I ponder, like, so we've got 11 books in the kids series now. We've got three in our teen uh, kind of choose, choose your own adventure type series. And our plan is we're going to keep doing two kids books a year, usually every like six, seven, eight months. And as I told your daughter, I've got this big, long list of ideas. So many people read these books and like, oh, hey, what if there was a book about this? Hey, great idea. Let me add it to the list. And there's just so much rich material out there for us to be talking to kids about um, that I'm excited for the future. I'm, I'm just blown away that we already have 11 books because when I got started initially, I had always said, yeah, we'll do like eight to 10 books and then stop. And we got done with eight and I'm like, oh, we'll get to 10. I got done with 10 and I'm like, why would we stop? There's just so much more to talk about. And the response is, you know, very positive. People gobble the books up. And so why would we ever stop this thing? And so as of now, we're just going to have it be this open-ended thing that we'll just keep producing books and, um, and helping families have these important discussions. Well, the timing of the most recent one was impeccable, you know, with what we're going through and the idea of subsidies and production and loans and not being able to pay back. And I was, uh, I, I, I was want to ask you, like I was going to say, how, how recently did you write that? Or was it just a... <laughs> it's was freaky, it just, right? Yeah. It, it, uh, <laughs> as this crisis started unfolding, I was like shaking my head because yeah, this, this latest book talks about bailouts, talks yeah. about subsidies, interest rates, inflation, yeah. and literally all of that is playing out with this big CARES Act and economic quote unquote stimulus and, you know, 4 trillion extra and just uh, you know, debt and everything else. And uh, so I wrote this book. Uh, this was late last year before coronavirus was on anyone's radar. The economy was still super hot. And uh, so we sent an email out to our list about this just a couple of weeks ago saying like, this is the, you know, prophetic book that predicted the crisis or whatever. <laughs> Be- because oddly, that's how it kind of ended up. But the truth is that um, this is just the nature of government. Yeah. Um, and as, as I was telling your daughter, thinking about maybe a, a book uh, idea for the next one, you know, the, the, this is cyclical stuff. The, the mm-hmm. government has, like when there's an economic crisis, they don't cut spending. They don't drastically reduce budgets. They just print more money. That's just what happens. And they, um, make, a, and so, uh, they make a land grab too. Yeah. As far as, uh, as, far as bringing the, the rules that will save us all in the future instead of just letting us save ourselves in the future and getting out. Because there's going to be, they, they create losers Yep. Out of these situations. You know? And so it's not that we predicted anything. It's just that this is historical stuff. This just happens yeah. all the time. This is the nature of government. And so sure, it's very relevant right now, like hyper relevant, uh, because it's literally playing out before our eyes. But as this kind of crisis resolves, and we get back to whatever normal uh, is going to be, it's going to happen again in the future. And so it's just going to be this kind of recurring theme. 
Yeah, no, and it's um, so I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. Um, we, I, you know, one of the one of the um workbooks that you've done is the ten tips for raising an entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I love some of these concepts, and I'm really glad that I found your program because these are things that I've kind of just been winging alone with my kids. But I know that these are concepts that, unless you've been through as many entrepreneurial adventures as I have, that it's pretty hard to kind of come up and know these things, you know. And one of the, one of the big concepts I like, and I would like you to talk about, is to let your children attempt the impossible, mm-hmm. right? Um, so. Can you kind of kind of dive into like what what you mean by that? So it's kind of like the books themselves are treating kids like adults in the sense that we're kind of giving them more complicated information than they would otherwise get from children's books or school or things like that. And I think the same thing is true of entrepreneurship, even for a little kid, is if we don't dream big, how are we ever going to encounter the opportunities that have disproportionate reward and return on investment, how are we going to have spectacular failures that are going to teach us more in the period of one month than most people get in a decade, right? I I think um, as you look at entrepreneurs, they are by far willing to take bold steps. And why do we need to wait until we're in our mid-20s to do that, especially where you're a child and you basically don't have bills and you don't have a mortgage and you don't have all these obligations? what better time to embark on these big opportunities and big risks that aren't actually, you know, that risky. Um, and, you know, it's, it's to your point about the costumes and anyone can be a doctor and a lawyer and w- what's your job going to be. Um, I want like speaking for myself as a dad, um, my goal is that as they get to be about teenagers, I want to help facilitate for them a ton of job shadowing. I want to expose them to people in all walks of life, all careers. Hey, you know, friend down the road, you're an accountant. Can my son just come sit in your office for a day and kind of observe what you do? And maybe over lunch, he can kind of ask some questions that he's observed, you know, in the morning and and pick your brain and then he'll, you know, watch the rest of the day. Um, Hey, you're a welder, right? Can my daughter come over and learn how to, you know, weld uh, a little bit? Stuff like that. Just get mass fixed. The schools don't offer any of this kind of stuff. They're on a conveyor belt. Everyone is being manufactured into the same grade A industrial quality product, the same outcome for every kid, no matter your background, no matter your interests, your individual traits and preferences. And I don't want that for my kids. I I get why a lot of people do it, but that's just not my um, lot in life and and for our family. So I I want my kids to see that there is rich abundance in the world, that there is significant opportunity, that they can chase things that they're interested in, that they have the freedom and flexibility in because we homeschool, right? They, in, their, in their days where they can pursue those types of things. And I just think that, um, that there's just so much opportunity to be had for kids, especially teenagers. Um, you know, I did the standard thing. I was 15. I went out and got a little part-time job. I worked at Einstein Brother Bagels. I worked at Target, just had your average, you know, job. <clears throat> and I want my kids, I, I was never exposed to entrepreneurship. I, I never even contemplated that until I was like, 18 or 19, and I started learning web development. This was back in the late 90s. And, uh, and I started making websites for people. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I could just sit at home, listen to music, and earn money by geeking out on the computers. Anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling. The point is, um, if we don't afford our children those opportunities, if we don't expose them to these big ideas, um, I, I really think that they're potentially missing out on something that could be a, a massive 
number one, learning opportunity, but number two, a uh, revenue generator potentially to, you know, pay for college or start the next business or, you know, put a deposit on a home or whatever it is for you. I, I don't want to deprive my kids of those opportunities and have them wait until later in life. I want to, as a father, I want to find ways to expose them to and give them those opportunities along the way. For a big concept for me personally, and one of the reasons that I kind of dived into this, tackling this, uh, I guess, subject in, in the world, um, one, it's personal to me, but two, uh, you really kind of touched on it there in a different roundabout way um, where you're, you can take the risks when you don't have necessarily the, the factors that hold you back, right? And so you're going to have big rewards when you can solve big problems and you can take big risks to solve big problems when you have more freedom and you're not debt laden and you're not you know, that you, you believe that it's okay to go out and do those things because you can, you can, you're, you have the ability to take the risk because, you know, if we financially educate our kids around debt, around debt to income, around credit, around borrowing and interest and these kinds of things, they're not making decisions from a perspective of necessity. Mm. They're able to have the ability and freedom to make decisions. And I think what they'll do is they'll go out and solve the bigger problems in the world. They'll yeah. go out and they'll pursue these challenges and these chases and they'll be the crazy ones that push humanity forward. Yeah. And you know, like you talked about, like the bigger the problem you solve, the bigger the reward there is usually. Mm -hmm. And, but that also pushes society forward. And I, and, and I really like that idea because, you know, of encouraging kids when they don't have quote unquote, the risk, you know, failing, um, because they don't have the ramifications, I guess would be the other part. The risk is there, but the ramifications aren't right. 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 <laughs> so, um, I, I really like that idea about they kind of have them. the safety net, you know, yeah. for them at all yeah. times. Well, they got their parent subsidies, right? They're so sure. <laughs> exactly. I mean, in a sense, it's kind of like you're, they got the training wheels on, right? Yeah. And they, they yeah. know it's not fully risky, but again, these are kids we're talking about. We don't you want can, them to yeah. fall, you can fall off the bike, but you're not going to go too hard. Right. <clears throat> right. You got the wheels on. And so, yep. um, you know, one of the other concepts I know that you talked about was basically normalize learning from mistakes and the failures, right? Um, yeah. My kids will, and I've heard them repeat this when I, and I, when I did, I mean, I literally like welted up because I heard my son say it to another kid. He said, you didn't fail. You just learned something, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, he's like, you, you can't fail unless you quit. And that's a lot of times what they say. And so I was wondering if you could talk about how you implement that in your house. Well, let me maybe share a, a, a slightly different example. Here in Utah, we operate what's called the Children's Entrepreneur Markets. And it's basically like farmer's markets, but run entirely by the kids. <clears throat> Every kid has a different business. It's, you know, some couple might do lemonade stands. I remember a couple of years ago when fidget spinners were really hot, we had 13 uh, kids, different booths, all selling fidget spinners. Um, you know, kids are selling art they make, games they make, shirts they make. I, I remember one girl was doing 15-minute ukulele lessons for five bucks. So I took the little ukulele lesson from her. Kids are making meals and snacks and everything in between. It, it's super fun. We usually get a few hundred uh, kids at each event. Really? Uh, awesome. th thousand people from the you know, like customers, adults, usually it's like a lot of aunts, uncles, grandparents, but uh, we'll, we'll usually do it at a big place where there's lots of people out already. So anyways, my point is, was it two years ago, I got this nasty gram from this mom of a, a kid who participated and didn't really sell anything. And it's a $10 
uh, actually it was a $15 fee, which covers the cost of like insurance for the location. They get a little shirt, they get a Tuttle Twins book and so forth. It was kind of a break even cost, but she's like, we had to pay $15 and he only made, you know, $8 selling stuff. And just kind of point her finger that, that, uh, this is a, you know, bad thing that had happened and it didn't work out for her son. Therefore, shame on you for not, you know, doing something different. And I just scratched my head because I was like, mom, lady, you are totally looking at this in the wrong perspective. You should be seeing this as a profound and important learning opportunity to sit down with your child and say, why didn't this work? Because clearly it's not, not working for everyone. A lot of kids have smile, huge smiles across their faces. My kids, I'm a beekeeper. And, uh, and so a lot of times we'll sell honey. Uh, at these little kids markets and my kids will just, and you know, I'll, I'll sell it to them at kind of a wholesale cost and they can mark it up and sell it and, and earn the profit. And, uh, and they make, you know, each of them, the, between the two of them, they'll each make like 30, 40 bucks, you know, and in a, in a, it's not even a day. It's a three hour event. That's good money. And they often sell other things as well, like building your own Legos and whatever. Um, so lots of kids are, are doing really well uh, financially, but some kids, like their mom hardly did anything, didn't really work with the child, didn't encourage them. <clears throat> they went to like Costco, bought some bags of chips, you know, tried to resell them like big whoop, right? No one, no one wants this when there's like fresh, uh, you know, desserts being made, you know, just a couple booths down. And so, man, sit down with your kid and say, well, why didn't this work? What did we do wrong? What can we learn and do better next time? Let's observe from other people around us and say, well, Clearly, it's working for them. What did they do different from us? Oh, hey, look, they marketed it this way or their price was different or they were a bit more assertive in trying to welcome people to stop at their booth. They were handing out free samples to kind of draw people in. And, and, and so that mom clearly had a really flawed mindset and instead was trying to project the problem onto us when in reality, the problem was their own and they were avoiding the opportunity of learning from it to improve. And so I feel as annoyed as I was by the mom, I was really um, uh, sad for the child who yeah. was being denied that learning opportunity and was instead being uh, instilled with this like victim mindset, right? The, the problem was outside of our own creation. Someone else did this to us. The circumstances were beyond our control. And I think our society, we can clearly see in, in an aggregate level how problematic those mentalities can become. Um, and so this was kind of a very acute example to me of the, the stark difference between the two approaches. And so I think it's very important that, yes, we're all going to have failures, but there's so much to learn from them, um, whether in the moment or in retrospect. And so I just think as, as parents, we need to be focused on sitting down with our, our child and set our children and saying, you know, what can we learn from this? What can we do better? You know, I couldn't, you couldn't have said that better because I was thinking that exact same thing as you were talking about what she sent to you that, you know, that's an immediate opportunity to go, Hey guys, what, what do we need? Do we need a different product? Do we need a different marketing strategy? Mm -hmm. Do we need a different price point? And there's so many business lessons just sitting right there in front of you over $7, you know, totally. totally. <laughs> and that's, that's the thing is like, you know, I, uh, uh, reason I was talking to uh, a friend of mine and he said, you know, we were talking about a book to buy and uh, um, because he has a problem with kind of identifying what to do at work, I guess would be a good way to put it. You know, he's mm -hmm. always struggled. He's like, I, he's like, I just get scatterbrained. I go all over the place and I end up, you know, not making half the money I should make in construction. I said, you ever read eat that frog? And he was like, 
no. And I'm like, well, it basically helps you identify the big thing to do, you know? And he was like, well, how much is it? And I was like, I was like, well, you can get it on Audible. You can even listen to it while you're working, man. It's like 13 bucks. And he was like, eh, I don't know if I want to spend 13 bucks. And I'm like, I look at him like, how much does this cost you not knowing this stuff? Totally. <laughs> you know, so if you spent $7 to get a, a business lesson, I mean, I don't know where you're going to get a better $7 business lesson. And on top of that, you're going to get to have the relationship and the conversation with your kid yep. over $7, you know? And that's, yep. the, that's the part that, like, like you said, and in, 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 in worst case scenario, you're now turning it around to be victimhood mentality of, mm-hmm. well, I didn't make the $7 because it's your fault, you know, not my fault. So, um, how do you, so how did you come up with that? how did you come up with the, the children's entrepreneur markets? I know a lot of people are probably going to be listening to our podcast. And they're going to be like, wait, that sounds like something really cool. I'd like to do in my town. So in every, most every state, or maybe just a majority of states, uh, there's something called, and I would encourage all your listeners to look into this, the Acton Business Fair. And you can Google it. Uh, they're in tons of states. And it's basically kind of an out-of-the-box thing where uh, an interested parent can kind of spearhead it and, and have the resources and knowledge to kind of help support them to get these operational. A lot of states just do, you know, one a year. Um, some states will have several. And so that idea had already been out there, but uh, they weren't operating in our state at all. And our think tank, Libertas Institute, we had actually just passed the first law in the country to uh, prevent it. We called it the lemonade stand law because you see these stories across the country where little kids' lemonade stands are getting shut down because they didn't get a business permit or, you know, little, little uh, Amy is selling 57 cent cups of lemonade and the, literally the city worker will come over and say, you have to pay $120 business uh, permit fee. And like, I'm, you know, <laughs> this is ridiculous, right? So these headlines are always happening. And so we got fed up. We got the law changed here in Utah to say uh, that if you're a minor operating an occasional business, whether it's lemonade stands, babysitting, you know, lawn mowing, whatever, they can't make you get a license or a permit. Um, and we actually doubled down on it this year. That was about three, four years ago. This year, we got the law amended to also say no taxes. And so um, basically, it's a literal free market for minors in Utah now. And so to us, Fantastic. the kids market was a way to kind of celebrate that, spread the word a little bit and, and kind of take advantage and say, okay, now that there's a free market, let's do this fun thing. It'll be a good brand opportunity for our organization. It'll be a good little community project, community service. We love it. It's fun. We do about a dozen of these across the state. Um, and so for anyone interested, I would say, go look at the Acton Business Fair uh, there's also uh, a website called, I think, Lemonade Day, I think is what they call it. And so there's is more of a lemonade stand uh, where they help people on a certain day of the year uh, operate a lemonade stand. And then they have kind of educational support along the way to give them resources and tips and ideas and be thinking about how to do it. And then they have kind of the execution day, right? Hey, on June you know, 15th, I'm going to set up my lemonade stand having, and, and implement all the things I've been learning about with my parents using this little, you know, packet that we downloaded. That's more of a decentralized one. Everyone kind of doing their own thing. Acton Business Fair is more of a little market kind of thing, bring everyone together, um, you know, or you go start your own and someone just kind of does this as a pop-up thing. Um, it's, it's just, it's a ton of fun and the kids love it. And, you know, when you see the profit motive at work, and yeah. little kids get those dollar signs in their eyes and they say, oh man, this is a, a great way to earn some money. My kids are always, you know, chomping at the bit to when's the next market? When can we do it again? Because, you know, if if you apply yourself right, the the thing I keep telling my kids is 
you're at a period in your life where no one cares what you're selling. You are yeah. cute kids <laughs> practicing entrepreneurship. Yeah. People will pay you money just because you're there. And so leverage this opportunity to be having a lot of these like entrepreneurial things because you're going to get a far better response than, you know, when you're a teenager, or certainly when you're an adult. So I keep, I keep pushing them on this kind of stuff. Yeah. My lemonade, my, my, my lemonade stand has been a money loser for years, but <laughs> <laughs> you're not cute enough. Sorry. That's it. I get, well, I had to get a couple of recruits now. So now there I got go. my recruits. I stick, they're my front people now. So <laughs> they came up with the, uh, the little squeezers. That's what they are. The little squeezers. <laughs> I like it. So, so you mentioned something in there that you went and got the law changed. Like walk me through that. How, how did you, I mean, obviously it's ridiculous. We all yeah. know it's ridiculous. Yeah. But there's lots of stuff like that that's ridiculous that I think people just go, well, we just have to live with it because that's the way it is, right? You know, I, I used to think that way too. It's, it's very much kind of the scarcity mindset, right? Yeah. And, and the status quo is how it shall always be. I, I was raised with this, like, this notion of like the law is this immutable thing. Oh, that's just the law. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what it is. We're going to have to comply with that. And I'll tell you on the flip side, now that I'm in the trenches and we change laws on the regular, I have no um, sanctity or like any consideration. But the law is just what a bunch of people in a room get together and decide it is. And I now have the ability to influence those people sitting in the room. And let's just go change the law. I mean, we just got out of our legislative session in Utah. Most states have just recently concluded their legislative sessions. And we changed like over a dozen laws just our organization, our own ideas and proposals, and then we were involved in dozens more. Um, the, the law is always changing. There's no notion of this being this like, you know, written in stone kind of thing, like law of Moses, whatever, coming down from Mount Sinai. So, um, which is good and bad. It's actually really bad that, you know, the law is always just changing at a whim of what a bunch of people get together, but we want to influence it for the better. And so that's, that's what our organization does. Fundamentally, changing the law comes down to one of two things. Either you have a very controversial story. So let's use this example. You're a, a, a mom or a dad whose kid had their lemonade stand shut down. And yeah. the local news did a story about it and everyone's up in arms. You can use that to go to the Capitol, to go to your legislator, your senator, representative and say, I want you to fix this. And when there's kind of this hot media attention and outrage and you can kind of carry over this, this current event into uh, political change, that's actually a, a great way to do it because... There's a lot of focused mental attention, right, on what's happening, and people want to solve the problem. Um, every politician wants to be the knight in shining armor that kind of rides to someone's uh, aid. So that's, that's one way to do it. The other way is, is why lobbyists get a bad rap, um, and it's because of relationships. Your mm -hmm. traditional corporate lobbyist knows the people that they're trying to influence. They go to their fundraisers. They know their kids' names. They know their interests. They cyberstalk them online and say, oh, yeah, you know, we went to the same school, and um, because politics is all about influence. You want the ability to influence the, the decision makers. And so organizations like ours, people like me, we are in the business of relationship management, where when new people are elected, I want to get to know them. I want to take them out to lunch and just say, hey, here's who I am. Tell me what your background is. And, and so uh, the average citizen, unfortunately, struggles because they don't have the, you know, the time or um, the, you know, relevance uh, if I can say it that way. In other words, the legislator isn't going to have time to meet with like 832 random people who want to take the guy out to lunch. He has to kind of consolidate. So that's why you get organizations like mine who can represent a ton of other people. And rather than them having to go do this, they just support us. And then we are the ones to go do that. 
<clears throat> so you're, you're um, almost like a mini elected official in that part. Kind right? of, yeah. You, like, you've got a subset of group of people that yeah. represent to make sure that they're the the that the, they have voice. Yep. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And so um, it's something that we have a lot of fun with, and uh, we're able to try and influence things in a better direction. Uh, I'll say this too: most states have a think tank that's kind of uh, free market, limited government. Um, and so where you can go look that up is spn.org. That stands for State Policy Network. And so that's kind of the umbrella organization over a lot of these right of center, free market, conservative, libertarian-ish kind of organizations. So we're a member of State Policy Network. And so any of your listeners can go to spn.org, find the group in their state, you know, go to their events once we're out of quarantine, <laughs> uh, <laughs> subscribe to their uh, mail list, follow them on social media, pay attention to kind of what they're doing because you may have the opportunity to interface with that and support what they're doing and, and help to some degree. Man, I, uh, I appreciate um, the information you've looked into. I can't, I'm, I can't wait to go look in this Acton Business Fair. I've got my wheels turning already because we have cool. a little downtown square here in my little town of Ocala, Florida. And, uh, you know, we, they do a lot of downtown events and those kinds of things. And I would love to actually get some, uh, some kid entrepreneurial um, spirit going and uh and some opportunities and some fun stuff for parents to come in and support them and you start a facebook event and say we're doing a you know kids entrepreneur day that thing will spread like wildfire yeah uh people you know we always sell out because moms are tagging other moms and their neighbors and you know dads are like hey i want to do this and and uh it it always gets a good response so i, I hope you and, and many others consider doing something like this because it's a, it's just really rewarding it's a lot yeah. of fun yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I can't, you know, encourage entrepreneurship more. Um, you know, there's obviously some people that are cut out for it and some aren't. But if it's something for kids, though, I think every kid should be at least afforded the opportunity to, to explore it, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of the things that I, you know, as long as we have the opportunities, you can pick and choose what you want. So when you take away the opportunities, you have the problems, you yep. know? Um, well, Connor, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to stop there. Uh, I want to uh, give you an opportunity, though. Um, if the people are listening to us right now, uh, money talkers are out there and they want to find out more about yourself, about your organization, and uh, I would highly recommend finding out more about the Tuttle Twins. It's been a big hit in my household, um, but I also want to say thank you for coming on with us. But where's the best place to, to find out about what, you, what you're doing? Um, so the books are at TuttleTwins.com, T-U-T-T-L-E, TuttleTwins.com. Um, you can just Google Connor Boyack and find my website and other information about me. Uh, but I think you're right. Most, most listeners will be most interested in the books. And so definitely would encourage everyone. We've got books for kids. We've got books for teenagers. We've got weekly curriculum to teach your kids free market economics. That's, that w a website for that is FreeMarket.TuttleTwins.com. Uh, we've got a family game so that you can get together and play this kind of storytelling game to learn the ideas. We're just trying to produce a lot of this material to help parents like you and I have these conversations with their kids. So really appreciate the opportunity to come and, and share it here on your podcast. I got to tell them one more. The PDF with the 13 questions to level up your family dinner conversation is a hit as well. <laughs> nice. it, uh, it goes away from how's your day? Fine. Well, how's your day? Fine. What'd you do at school today? I don't know. Like, you know, that, that, that frustration conversation that you have, you, you have this and uh, there's 13 ideas in there to, uh, to really kind of open it up, which makes it a lot of fun. So again, thank you very much. I appreciate yeah. you coming on the Money Talkers. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. 
If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids' financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.